Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. I am your host, Ryan Brown. And today I have the one and only Mike Barry joining me. Mike, how you doing? How's it going? Uh, it's been a long time coming. There's been a lot of breaks here, um, as you can, as you know. <laughs> yes. um, I am the guest here for Fixin' to Talk Hockey, so... Definitely excited to be back. Excited to uh, kind of summarize what's been going on around the NHL and to kind of uh, see what's going to happen with the Bruins going down the stretch. Yes. So as you alluded to, Mike, we are here to talk some hockey. It has been a grip. It's been a couple of months, actually. Uh, So let's get to it. The Bruins, Boston Bruins, were – kind of treading on water going into the quote-unquote COVID break. They were 14-10-2 going into it. Then they were placed on a COVID pause even before the whole league went on break for a, um, a, an entire week. The Bruins were off for practically two, two and a half weeks, I believe. So they were kind of teetering. They were fifth in the Atlantic division and ninth overall in the Eastern conference, which meant they would not have made the playoffs if the season had ended at the end of 2021. However, they won eight of their first nine games coming out of the COVID pause and now sit at a record of 29, 17 and four, which is good for 62 points. They're five, four, and one in the last 10. So they've kind of cooled down a little bit, but they're good still for fourth in the Atlantic division. And they are now eighth in the Eastern Conference, which means they would get one of the two wild card spots there at the end. Uh, as I mentioned, COVID did put the league, the entire league, not just the Bruins, the entire league on pause for a week just prior to Christmas. And one of the other big things that came out of that was because of all of the cancellations. That forced the NHL to have to make the tough decision to pull out of the 2022 Olympics. So there was no Olympic break that originally had been planned for and scheduled around. But instead, they had to take that back. It was in the CBA, so they had the right to do that. But that meant no, no Olympic break. Players could not go to the Olympics to play for their countries. Instead, they had to stay with their clubs and play makeup games throughout February. The Bruins, specifically, they were one of the first teams to be placed on the COVID pause before the league-wide pause went into effect, as I mentioned earlier, because they had double-digit players in COVID protocols before being shut down. But they've gotten healthy. They came out firing out of the gate. And now they're sitting in a pretty good spot because of how the Eastern Conference standings shake up. And we'll get to that in just a second. But, Mike, give me your thoughts on the Bruins so far in 2022 coming out of the COVID break. I think not just coming out of the COVID break. I, I think just starting at the beginning of the season where the Bruins started off the season in October, they had a 10-day break. And I think they were one of the only mm. teams in the league to have that long of a break that early on season. So it kind of set the bar, set the tone for the, at least the first half of the season before the all-star break where the Bruins, they, they would get streaky, have these long breaks um, and then just keep playing, you know, their, their style of hockey. But I don't think they've really been able to get going until 
like you alluded to after this whole COVID holiday break they had. Um, you know, last week they, they had a really great solid outing, matinee outing against Colorado. Um, I think that game as a small sample size, the Bruins are a playoff team based off that game. But the rest of the season, it's just been the same kind of play that we're used to as Bruins fans. They go on these hot runs. They get top-line performance from their top line. They get top-tier performance from the top line. And then it fizzles out after that. And then you mix in the recent suspension of Brad Marchand and the kind of the mixing of the lines. It just seems like the Bruins are are teetering between finding their spot in the division and in, in the conference and then just kind of um, going back to their, their old cell hockey where they're relying on their, on the top line to get all their production. And then they have to try and figure it out the rest of the way with lines two through four. So this season has been, it's been great to see him play in, in these streaks, but you know, it's, it just seems like this season alone with everything going on, it just seems like they're a couple injuries away, a couple bad losses away from, not giving away the season because they're in a pretty good spot points wise uh, to get into the playoffs right now, but there's going to be a lot of hockey between now and the end of the season. And I think it's going to really going to be telling if, if this team's legit or if they're just a flash in the pan with all these, all these kind of one and done games they have uh, this season. Yeah. You mentioned where they exactly sit and how they're kind of sitting pretty the, the reason we say that is because the Eastern Conference is just very lopsided this year. The teams that are not currently in the playoff team, in the playoffs positioning, are just several, and I mean several, like points, wins behind the last playoff spot in the Bruins. Right that now, the, they currently occupy. Right now, the, the, the point gap between Columbus and Boston for the last wild card spot is. Um, Nine points, so about four, yeah. four and a half games right now as yeah. it stands. And that's – that's I don't want to go out on a limb here, but in hockey terms, that's kind of a comfortable margin. Like, you usually – like, you look out west right now, and a lot of the playoff spots at the end, outside of, like, Colorado, everything is kind of a toss-up. The teams two through, I believe, 11, maybe 12 – are only separated by seven points. Whereas in the East, you've got the top eight that are comfortably in the playoffs. And like you said, there's basically, it's almost a double digit point gap between eighth place and ninth place in the Eastern Conference. So it's going to take a lot for the Bruins. Like like you said, injuries, uh, really piss poor play. But it, it also goes to show you that where they're sitting at in the standings, it's much more, it's what they've been doing of late isn't good enough anymore. What I mean by that is the Bruins used to, and they still do this, rely, as you said, heavily on the perfection line. And that has gotten them so far many years, including Stanley Cup finals, deep playoff runs, et cetera, et cetera. But now it, it just seems like with the the continued lack of production outside of the perfection line. I mean, the the only other serious production you're getting 
outside of the perfection line is Coil, Hall, McAvoy. I mean, it's it's really those are the only other three that put up any legit production. So when you're when you've got five forwards and one defenseman, and that's really where all of your production comes from, that's that's tough. If any one of them goes down, you're screwed. Right, and it, it's not going to do it. Like, for example, um, for tonight's game against Seattle, um, I was scrolling through Twitter earlier and I saw the the lines I had out of practice. And I couldn't help but but kind of chuckle. The the first line they were going to roll out tonight: Marchand, Bergeron, Jake DeBrusque. I couldn't help but look at that and think, what are we doing here? What, what exactly is going on? If that doesn't shout from the rooftops that if there is no first line or second line right wing that comes in before the deadline, there's just going to be a fire sale from front office at the end or even before the end of the season. Like, you can't – yes, they're going out into playing Seattle, which they haven't really been doing too hot in their inaugural season. Be that as it may, no, you can't show up to a game and have Jake DeBrus playing on your first line ever. Yeah, he's had recently. He's been playing pretty good. Uh, he's he scored a really. I think he had a couple points maybe in the last few games, but you just you just can't have him on that top line. He is a third, at best, third line, and and two and and to speak to too. He's playing on the right wing, which I believe is his off wing, and he doesn't usually play on the right on the right side there. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's it's just typical Bruins fashion. They're trying to figure out different line combinations. Yes, the Pasternak Hall combination has been working really well, and and it's, show, and it's just showing the fact that they don't have that depth, that scoring depth up front. So, yeah, if you want to have Hall and Pasternak on the second line. All right, and then where does everybody else fit in, and how does that, how does that affect your scoring and your production if you break up that top line? Mm-hmm. What kind of line combos or changes would you like to see, if any, uh, from what they are currently doing? I mean, it's tough because you you have, you know, Bergeron, Martian, Hall, Pasternak, and after that, it could be, it could be whoever, like. They just have a, a rotating carousel of of players to fill on the, that right side, and then the third line, fourth line is usually a, a rotating between guys coming up and down from Providence um, and, and stuff like that. I just don't think they have uh, players outside of those top two lines to make highly productive lines at the moment, just given their given their roster. Um, you know, we, we say this every single year since Don Sweeney's been been in the front office. It needs a, a second line right wing. And until that happens, I, I think they're just going to be in the same kind of carousel of floating guys up. And and if they don't work out, they're going to get moved down in the lines. Or I just think they, they need to give one of these young kids a chance and keep them there and just have them there for a good while. Uh, through thick and thin, mm-hmm. even if they're not producing whatever, they just need something, some consistent production outside of that first line. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of Sweeney in the front office, let me ask you this. How, how do you, I'm not, maybe I can get you a, to give it like a, a grade so far, but like how 
do you feel about the offseason additions? Like how well do you think they fit in, especially at goalie with Woolman? And I know Swayman's not really an offseason addition, but we'll get into the goalies a little bit more. But how do you feel about the whole offseason additions to the Bruins as a whole currently as it stands now? Um, I mean, I give them like I give them a solid C. They went out and got some depth guys, Nick Felino, Eric Halla. Um, you know, that's that's about it. There, Halla's been pretty good. Nick Felino hasn't really been producing. I think he's got one goal in the season. Um, kind of a, a good guy in the room, good character guy. But um, yeah, I'd give them a C. Um, if Based on what they did with Allmark's contract, that alone, I, I give that a low in the in the D range. You go out and you don't have you don't have front office confidence in, in your young goaltender and Swayman, and you go out and sign a goalie five years, twenty five million dollars dollars. It I don't know. It's the way they handled that situation and not being and just having this this affliction of just having to have Tuca uh, attached at the hip, no matter what they should have cut ties with him before the season even started. They said, they should have said, you're not coming back. Um, that way they can focus on developing, uh, helping to having swim and develop and, and not having to worry about being the third guy in this, in the, in that, in that tandem. Um, I thought it was going to be a, a horrendous kind of mark for Swayman getting sent down after he was kind of lighting it up the first part of the season when, and then Tuka comes back, no questions asked. He's in the lineup. Swayman gets sent down to Providence. I thought he was going to come back and, and not really shine after Tuka decided to hang and hang the skates up. But I think he's proven in the last few games that, and especially the rest of the season too, that, I think that number one spot is his to take, even though yes, the Bruins are pay paying Allmark a kind of crazy amount of money for the contract in the role that he's playing. But I think they're showing that. I think Swayman's showing the team that he's the goalie of the future and it's his spot to take. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Tuka because this, the goalie situation this year has been, Interesting to say the least. Obviously, you bring in Ulmark, you pay him starters money basically to come in and be the guy, although not necessarily guaranteed. You have Swaim in there, up and coming, developing goalie, and you, and then you have the giant question mark of Tuka Rask: is he in or is he out? Starts the season still away. Not sure if he's wants to play or not. Not sure if he's ready mentally to play or not. And then a couple weeks ago, he decides he's ready to go. And so about a month ago, in mid-January, comes back, starts right away against Philly, gets in the W column. But then it just <laughs> it just went downhill from there. I mean, the 7-1 beatdown by Carolina. Granted, Carolina is an outstanding team this year, uh, again, but – that couldn't have helped his confidence whatsoever. And then four games later, after four games, Tuca says, ah, nope, I'm just going to retire. And like that, it's back to what you started with, with Ulmark and Swayman. 
and Swayman has played very well. He started the 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 last four, four of the last five for the Bruins, and he's only allowed two goals or less in four in those last four. You have to go back to the Pittsburgh game, February eighth, to to find a game where he gave up more than two goals. So Swayman's definitely playing very well of late, and he's earning the starter's share of the workload of late as well, which is interesting because Ulmark's last two games have very much gone to the wayside. A, a 6 nothing loss against Carolina at home and a 4-1 loss at the New York Islanders. So he's not... Ulmark's not been playing well of late, uh, and it's... And they're giving Swayman more opportunities now. And Swayman's taken the most of them, like you said. So I'm very much of the mindset that Swayman has to be the guy. You got to ride him. That's that's just how it is in hockey is you ride the hot goalie. That's what you do in the playoffs. And honestly, I think that's what you got to do right now, especially when you're the last team into the playoffs. I know that we talked about the gap, but you've got to ride Swayman the way he's playing right now. No questions asked. I think he's the number one goalie for the Bruins. Oh, absolutely. And to kind of go back to your point with, with Tuca, um, they, he cut, he, he handcuffed the Bruins. Yes, he did, but also kind of a sneaky kind of thing that happened with the Bruins in the off season too, to kind of go back to the off season here um, is the whole David Krejci thing. I think the Bruins were, were, holding out hope that he would come back after he spent the season away in, in the Czech Republic and, and be that solidified second line center, but he just never did. And then they, this, they couldn't spend money. They, they were holding out hope that they were, that he was going to resign again. And so instead of uh, giving up his money and, and going out and getting some, some more solid scoring depth, they went out and just spent all most of that money on, on old Mark. And, um, like you're saying, he's been he hasn't been as good as uh, the investment uh, would hope, but I think the just the connection him and Swayman have that that's kind of a sneaky thing that like has developed over the season where they they have developed this chemistry and I think that that's even if the games don't go the goalie's way, that chemistry in the room in the goalie room is gonna I think it's gonna help them um, down the stretch here. Uh, like you said, Swayman should and hopefully is the number one goalie go- going down the stretch, and they ride him into the playoffs. But uh, there's enough time for Omar to regain that confidence that that we saw when he started off the season. He was he was playing playing pretty well in the first part of the season, and then recently hasn't been going his way. But I think if he regains that confidence, uh, him and Swayman could be a dangerous duo going going into the playoffs now the Bruins are starting a west coast trip tonight in Seattle as we record on February 24th the rest of the road trip lines up as San Jose LA Anaheim and Vegas with the final night of the road trip concluding in Columbus is this a, would you call this a big road trip for the Bruins or is it just, just another West coast trip? I think it's a, it's not a do or die type thing, but there are definitely points to be had. Um, if they can get, 
they can get, you know, six points out of this road trip, I, I consider that a success. Um, if they can get those six points, solidify that, that eight, that eight spot, maybe just maybe if Toronto slips up, which they have, there are no signs that they're slipping up at the moment. They have that third spot in the Atlantic division. I think it's very important. Um, you, the Bruins will all, all, almost have to, you know, collapse these next few weeks to avoid a playoff spot. But um, you're going out there and you have currently you have Vegas as a, as a playoff team right now, Los Angeles. Um, Anaheim's knocking on the door. They're, they're tied with Edmonton right now um, with and Edmonton has a, a couple of games in hand. Um, so that they should, they should come out of these games with hopefully five or six points um after this trip uh, and i think those those six points are going to be very important come late march early april yeah i would have to agree with you but only to an extent uh i agree that it's not a do or die trip by any stretch of the imagination because of where they sit in the standings currently but also looking at the standings they have the same amount of points or more than everyone they are facing on this road trip. So I think they should be shooting, honestly, for more than just getting half of the potential points available to them. I'd honestly be saying if you get only or walking away with six points in a six-game road trip, especially even though it is a West Coast swing, I, I, I don't know if I would call it a disappointment, but I would definitely say that that's not great. I, I think you, if you're the Bruins, you probably want to shoot for eight. I think that's probably what you want to be the floor on this trip, maybe four and two. Uh, I know that's difficult, but or maybe even three, one and two with a couple of OT losses mixed in there. But some, something along those lines where you're walking out with at least eight points and you're looking like you, you won more than you lost, even if win loss wise, you were three and three. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah, totally. If they come back over 500, I think that's going to be a, a very beneficial uh, trip and they get Marshan back tonight. Um, it was kind of up in the air. Who's going to be back. I think he, uh, him, his wife uh, had a new baby. Uh, that's why he wasn't at practice a couple of days ago, but he made the trip out to Seattle. Um, he's going to play tonight. And so we'll see, we'll see what happens with him. Hopefully he's uh, kind of learned from his, from his actions against the, the Penguins and Tristan Jar to get that six game suspension. Um, hopefully he comes out with a little fire and a little sandpaper and, and he'll be, he'll be lighting up. He'll be putting points on the board on that, you know, on that first line, which, uh, is the Bruins' main scoring line. Mm-hmm. But it will be definitely important for the Bruins to get as much points as possible from this trip, as well as for the rest of the month and for most of March as well. Because once the schedule turns over to April, the final month of the regular season, it's going to get really difficult. They've got a home-and-home home right off the bat to start April with Columbus trips to Tampa Bay and Washington. They play St. Louis twice, Pittsburgh twice, the the Rangers, Florida, the Maple Leafs to 
in the season finale, that's that's all. There are very few cupcakes in April for the Bruins, so they need to pack on the points here for the next month or so. Uh, and I think this West Coast trip serves as a great opportunity for them to do so. Uh, gonna but be let's gonna be a- looking aside from the Bruins. Let's let's kind of look take take a step back and look at the league as a whole here. At this point in the season, Mike, what teams or even players specifically outside of the Bruins have surprised you to this point? Uh, I think to start with um, recently is, is Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner up in Toronto. They've just been putting points up in in you know consecutive games for the last few weeks here. Uh, finally starting to show what a dynamic uh, duo they are in Toronto. Um, I think Austin Matthews put up another goal tonight. Um, so I think Toronto's turning on at the right time. And, you know, we, we talk about Toronto every year. Are they going to be a prime cup contender with all the talent they have? Or are they, are they just going to be a flash in the pan? But I think, you know, knock on wood, I think this year could be a year where they, where they go deep. Um, Matthews and, and Marner, they're they're putting up points to support that. So they've been a solid surprise. Um, one other surprise on the opposite side of the spectrum has been uh, the Flyers. They cannot get out of their own way and have had multiple high-digit losing streaks across this season. So they they traded away a few of their a few of their guys that have been kind of core guys and Gosses Bear and Nolan Patrick, um, so they're in, they're in a complete rebuild phase right now, um, and it's very surprising to see because normally they are they're a team that's usually sneaky and and gets under a lot of team skin, especially the Bruins. But I think this year is a kind of a down year for them, and hopefully they're they're contenders. They're, there's always a solid team to watch. And hopefully they're they're back in the swing of things next year. For me, and this is just from like a casual perspective, the Montreal Canadiens, a team that I know it, they were weren't a very high seed when they went to the Stanley Cup Finals and played against the Lightning and got obliterated in 2020. They were like they would not have made the postseason had it not been an expanded postseason that year. But to see them go from that to worst team in the league with the worst differential in the league just feels like a complete bottoming out of that franchise. And that's a team that is almost typically always up, up in the playoffs contention, not necessarily going to make a deep run by any stretch of the imagination, but they're always a, a playoff contender for sure. And for them to be the worst team in the league now is just, it's just a little bit surprising to me. And then the other one that I want to throw out there, the Calgary Flames are, as the team names implies, super duper hot. Winners of 10 in a row. And they've gone from basically middling playoff team to division leader in the Pacific with this winning streak. So Johnny Hockey and the guys over there in Calgary have figured something out and they're riding the wave big time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I've caught, I've caught some of their games. I don't catch as many of their games as I'd like. Um, 
because they're always usually a fun team to watch, but them starting so late, uh, it's kind of a, a tough, tough thing to get. But yeah, like you said, mm-hmm. they're they're lighting it up. Um, 66 points right now. Um, it's crazy to see how much they've lit it up and they're at 66 points and they're still 12 points behind Colorado in that Western Conference. <laughs> That's how well Colorado is playing. It's it's kind of scary. Yeah, they 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 got um kind of one of the best games I think I watched honestly this season was that Bruins at Colorado a few weeks ago and mm-hmm. that felt like that could have been game 3 or 4 of the Stanley Cup finals. It was back and forth hockey. The goalies were standing on their heads. It was it went down um went into the shootout I believe, if not overtime. Um I'm not but Bruins ended up losing that game. I think they got one point out of it, but it was one of those, all right, this that game kind of proved that they could hang with the best of them. So um, very, a very solid effort uh, by the Bruins that day, and I believe that kind of style of play hopefully is what we see in the playoffs come April, but we shall see. All right, now – as we were bringing it back to the Bruins for a couple more quick points. Uh, what, what would you say, Mike, is the X factor or difference maker that n- the Bruins have to have, whether it's just a, a player in, in particular that heats up and goes off down in the stretch or getting a certain line? Is it a certain line? Out, you could, is it is, is as straightforward as just saying the perfection line needs to get back together and just pop off and do their thing, or is it something else? Say it once, and I'll say it until I'm blue in the face. It's in, until they get a second line scoring right wing. This team is just—they're not dead in the water, but they are on the carousel for until kingdom come. Um, that is. That is the catalyst that I think is going to drive them to a cup um, before all of their core guys retire. Um, I think they got to stay. It'll be interesting to see these next few games as Marshawn gets back into the swing of things. If they if they need to go back to that Marshawn Bergeron Pasternak lineup, or they keep the two thirds of the, of the big line up there and they have Pasternak and Hall who have been working really well together. Um, I don't know. Um, it's just tough because it feels like, well, it doesn't feel like it is a, a big time carousel every single year with the Bruins. They have the same needs every single year and time and time again, these needs aren't addressed, whether by means of a trade, by means of off season deals, uh, by ways of the draft, it's it's a constant theme with this team as well as the front office. So, and until that is addressed, and we see that there are, are two solid, productive lines, night in, night out, and you don't have to rely on that top line, those top guys, those top four or five guys, like you mentioned earlier, to put up points. Until then, I think the Bruins are just the you know they're going to be the same kind of kind of team until that happens. Yeah. So it seems pretty clear to me that you think if they were to acquire a second line right wing, that 
that could be the difference between a cup run and not. Let's say they don't get that right winger that they so desperately need for the second line. What what do you think this team's ceiling is as it currently sits? Um, you know, it, it all depends on, I think, what, what team shows up in the playoffs. If, if, if the team that shows up in the playoffs that have beaten the good teams this year, beaten the Colorados, went toe-to-toe with New York last week, lost in a shootout, I think that style of play and that team, they could make a deep run and, and, and be competitive. Um, but if they start, you know, teams start siphoning off that top line and, you know, Cassidy has to kind of mix things up on the fly and they're kind of playing, you know, with like a, the, their tail between their legs trying to figure things out. I think that's when you'll see they might get bumped out in the first or second round of the playoffs. Um, so they, it's they're teetering on a fine line. I think they're favoring. They're definitely. I think they're favoring more that the first argument where they're playing real solid hockey at the right time right now. But it, it with this team, it's not going to take too much for them to regress and kind of play on their heels. Um, and if they're playing on their heels going into their playoffs, it's going to be a, a short playoff run here for the team. And you're, you're going to look at these teams and, and, and just say that we, you know, the Bruins need, if they, if they had this guy on X, Y, and Z team, you know, they'd be cup contenders every single year, but that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. All right. That's, that's all I have here in my notes. Is there anything else you'd, you'd like to talk about as we wind down, Mike? Um, no, I think we covered a lot of, uh, we had a great summary of kind of our, of the season so far uh, where we kicked off the, the hockey talk last episode of the, of the hockey talk. So um, I think next, our next talk will be just before playoffs. We'll see where the Bruins end up. Um, you know, and, and if they if they have the same lineup, or if they have the same uh, players on the on the team, and that none of them get traded away, which I probably they probably won't, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but we'll see. So um, no, it's I think we covered everything that we wanted to cover. Yep, I will. We'll leave off on one final note. Obviously, we. I brought up the Olympics and how the NHL did not participate in that, but the Olympics still went on. Uh, and the United States did not even make the medal round losing in a shootout in the quarterfinals to Slovakia. The Slovakians ended up actually getting the bronze medal, uh, winning the bronze medal match, but they, the, Gold medal matchup, I believe Finland took out, what was it, Russia? I think it was the Russian Olympic Committee, whatever they're calling them these days. Uh, but do you have any, any quick thoughts on how the, the U.S. men's hockey team, uh, I don't want to say flamed out, but uh, disappointed yet again, and Finland taking home the gold? Yeah, no, I, w- I wish I could say I... I... I watched a lot of the USA hockey. I watched a lot of the women's USA hockey. That's a that was a better product than 
than what the inside was putting out. But it was just as soon as the, the NHL announced that they weren't going to send um, the NHL guys over to China for the Olympics, it, it just kind of it was kind of like a, a needle to a balloon. It kind of just took the, the took the momentum, took the kind of uh, looking forward to that to that Olympic break and watching some great international hockey and kind of just took the wind out of the sails. Um, I honestly didn't watch mm-hmm. too much and it, it was looking at the roster. There was like, it was basically a lot of AHL guys, a lot of guys who were retired. Um, it just, it just didn't really pique my interest. Um, but a lot you know, of college but, guys too, I think. There, yeah. There are a lot of college kids. Um, kids are playing the world juniors. Some decent prospect, but it's still that it did not draw my attention um, as like some international, like the World Junior Tournament. That's like a must watch every year. It's such great mm-hmm. hockey at a, at a great international level. Um, you know, also great watching. Like it, it just did not compare to to the product that we're used to. Uh, definitely did not compare to the excitement that was uh, a few years back in Sochi. Um, mm-hmm. but no, it, uh, the games I watched, uh, I honestly watched more of the women's, the women's hockey. Um, but you know, I think I don't, I, I don't know if the NHL or they're going to have a long-term view of having sending guys to the Olympics or whatnot, but we shall see in, in 2026. Um, you know, I think it'd be a cool idea for the NHL to do like in season, um, you know, Olympics. Uh, maybe every other year, every two years you do, um, you put all the guys in season, you do like an all-star weekend where you have, you have the team, team Canada going against team USA and down the line. I think that would be cool. Kind of doing like an uh, international Hmm. all-star game type deal. Yeah. That's, that's kind of first thing that pops in my mind is MLS, I know this is way off topic, but MLS, their all-star game is basically they take all their all-stars and they play a random club out overseas from one of the big-time leagues, Premier League or uh, the Spanish, one of the the other, the Liga, whatever. And so Barcelona will come in or Man U will come in and they'll play the MLS all-stars. So I guess you could do the national version of that or international version of that rather where you, you just divvy up your all-stars by uh, nationality or, and perhaps do it that way. But that would be tough because uh, if you do the voting, but if you still do the voting process, the same for the all-stars, you don't know how you're going to shake out with, if you're, you might have to do like a, almost like a team, like Europe A, Team Europe B, Team Canada, Team US, so on and so forth, something like that. Um, but that that is an interesting proposal. It, it would just depend on how the shakeup of the actual All Star roster and how you can f- play around with it. But I, I don't like. I, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. It's something different, you know, uh, especially in in art, like. Say if they did it in 2024, kind of instead of waiting, having to wait four years for big international or international hockey with big names, you know, you substitute the All-Star weekend and you have, um, you know, the different teams play against each other and and go from there. Hmm. 
Alrighty. Well, I think that's going to be it for this episode of Fixin' to Talk Sports. For Mike Barry, I am Ryan Brown, and we will see you next time.